There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And this week, we can't really go a week without talking about what the mobile network 3 did, which is that it made good on its promise to try blocking ads at the network level. It did this for, at least reportedly, for 24 hours on the on the 15th of June last week. And essentially what it did was use the technology of an Israeli company called Shine to deep packet inspect, for want of a better term, and, and one of the execs from Shine has said on record they use deep packet inspection to discover when you are potentially about to be served an ad and stop it from ever getting to your phone. And the companies will say this is to reduce the amount of data that ads take up. Um, it could be anything between 10, 20, 30 percent of your web browsing taken up by ads, depending on who you ask. And this is a way to get away from that. And if you listen to the company Shine, they talk a big smack game about how ads are an abuse of power by the ad networks. And we'll get to that in a second. Ian, before we go any further, because I believe you have a three contract. I do. Were you contacted to to take part in this? No. No. And I checked and and I wasn't included on it. Because this was opt-in, this trial was opt-in. And I've tried quite hard to find an example of somebody who had opted into this service. One person on Twitter, who I'm not going to name now, I'll link to this Twitter conversation we had, but one user did get back to me uh, who said that apparently it was enabled for him, but he didn't notice any difference at all, but mostly because he used uh, apps rather than general browsing. He right. said that he was he was con- contacted by email with an invitation to volunteer, which he accepted, and then uh, then he had a notification when the date would take place. Uh, but yeah, he said he didn't notice anything different. But uh, it mostly just because thinks because the apps bypass it, which they they probably do. One of the things on the FAQ for three that they've said is that if the adverts are native you know if they're this kind of advertorial thing or if they are within the app like for say a a promoted tweet or a promoted message in facebook they are not affected it seems that the at least initially it's targeting ads that are displayed within a web browser and are dynamic based on your browsing activity but but you say you you didn't have any of this at all ian no i checked specifically i mean i obviously i work at home so the very largest percentage of my day i'm i'm on wi-fi so i turned off wi-fi and had a look um and and got (laughs) an amusing amount of adverts like you know as you sometimes do on websites um and thought well obviously they haven't turned this off then uh but then i wasn't asked and i didn't and i'm not surprised um had i been i would have opted in for the day because i would be i'm obviously quite interested to see how it looks you know i've been doing a lot of research into the technology that is making this possible and the companies that are involved in making this happen and a few things have come you know i think come to the surface of uh or should come to the surface of this of this discussion 
you know, one of them is around just the company that is providing the ad blocking technology. This is a company called Shine. Their website is getshine.com. And I was having a browse around the website just to try and get a bit of a sense for sort of how they present what they do. And I found myself getting extremely angry over just some of the wording and the and the some of the underlying just hate for adverts that this company seems to present and and it i've read some interviews with some of their execs and they say they're not they're not anti-ads they're just they're anti-abusive ads but when you look through this website some of the wording that they use i mean it is just full of hyperbole that just makes adverts on on the whole just sound like somewhere akin to piracy you can the wording here is very similar to what you would you could expect to come from a music body website talking about how piracy is going to destroy the music business i picked out one paragraph here just to explain and this is this is just from a regular sort of about page on this website this is the way they choose to word what they're doing uh, and this refers to the uh, the IAB, the advertising board, um, sort of admitting that something was up with ads. They say, whether sincere or crocodile tears, the fact is that ad tech brought about its own inevitable demise by coming to depend on dirty revenue generated through intrusive practices that abuse customers and defraud advertising businesses. Remarkable. And it goes on to compare... You know, they compare themselves to Muhammad Ali. <laughs> um, they just go so overboard. And it and they there are quotes here. They have quotes littered across the website. Quote, we need to be worried. VP ads, commerce at Google. Quote, we messed up. Scott Cunningham, SVP technology and ad ops at IAB. Quote, ad blocking represents consumer outrage. Another guy, at the ANA. And... This goes on and on and on and on. And it just makes me question this company's motives. Yeah. And it also, you know, they don't it's like charge. The, the Peter Thiel of uh, of ad blocking. You know, they, well, it, they're basically, they have, that someone there has been hurt somehow by an advert in some ma- way. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Well, one of the guys, one of the people quoted in a in a uh, an article on TechCrunch that I read about this company and how it uses deep packet inspection was previously a reporter at TechCrunch. <laughs> so, who knows. But basically, the company doesn't charge the, uh, its clients money to install its tech. It doesn't charge. So, 3, at least according to everything I've read so far, 3 does not pay Shine to put its technology in three's uh network infrastructure center to deliver this trial and potentially this uh this service to its users so it's not being paid it's got quite a lot of funding so the question is if let's just say theoretically three adopts this technology long term and and other carriers as a company called digicel that, that operates somewhere else in the world um they have adopted this and ob- uh, adopted it late last year apparently are still using it so some people are taking this up you've got a question where is their money going to come from and the only thing that i can see so far is that their money is ultimately going to come from letting some ads through that's how some of these ad blocking services have made money they allow a kind of whitelist for companies who put out good ads to let those ads through it's so messy in some ways this is exactly the same problem as the as the publishing industry has itself isn't it because what what you've got is you've got this company that goes oh we'll offer this service for free 
And then long term, they're going to realise that they can't offer a service for free, which is exactly the same problem as publishers have. You know, they'd like to be able to offer a service for free, but ultimately you have to pay writers and you have to pay, you know, people who create content. And the only way to do that at the moment is through a variety of different pieces of advertising. And, you know, that it's not a surprise, is it? Um, that my favourite quote is... Um, from their press section on the website, it says ad blocking is a consumer right. Full stop. Um, but if you're blocking ads, you're not you're not a consumer anymore, are you? Really, you're a uh, you know you're not you're not paying for a service, so you don't have any rights really. If you're using something for free, I would say that you've basically sort of given up up your right to I don't know to consider yourself a consumer to that your right to complain about things if you will um i mean the whole the whole argument that you know if you're browsing a website you are you should feel free to use an ad blocker but at the same time the website therefore should also feel free to block the ad blocker like that feels like a fair battle but when it comes in that you know ads are abusing the user it's like well that's not strictly true. The user is choosing to go to a website. Like, yes, it's totally the website and the ad industry's fault if their ads are so obnoxious that people don't want to go to their websites anymore. Yes. But if they're still choosing to go to their websites, then how is the ad abusing them? You know, if you walk into the middle of the fight, you don't get to, you know, sue somebody because you got punched in the face. You stepped into the middle of a fight. You know, it's not your right to not get punched in that situation. So I don't understand... I don't understand basically how this argument would continue. And the whole privacy argument seems to be null and void when you go on the record and say you use deep packet inspection yeah. as one of the ways to provide this service. So they will know everything about what you're doing beyond, way beyond what you know a normal ISP would really... I mean, ISPs know well, where you're be, going, don't they? Might, they don't know what the kind of data you're transferring is. Well, it might be anonymized. It might be anonymized. Yes. You know, this might, it's an on-demand sort of system that basically any data that comes into three gets filtered before it gets identified to somebody. But it's still, if you're, one of your arguments is giving the user control and privacy, well, it does feel a little bit invasive to have them opening we should, your packets. Um, we should try and get an answer out of three, really. I mean, it's, it's as for me, particularly as a customer, I believe it's my right to understand what data is being given to third parties um yeah. you know i i don't i don't want this company being any more involved in my i mean i i haven't signed on to be have my data touched by shine i mean i've i've agreed to let three do what they want with that kind of stuff because obviously it's part of having a mobile phone but i'm not and that doesn't mean i give them permission to just give that data to just anyone well, they say that the data isn't being handed over, but it all feels like a little bit, you know, smoke and mirrors because at the end of the day, they have to look at your packets to know what to filter out. So yes. however you word it, somebody somewhere is looking. I'd love, a, I'd love a look at the, the thing, that, what, what three is agreed to from Shine. I'd love to know what they, what that, what's in that agreement because, you know, three's getting something out of it, but Shine must have something in the contract that allows it to do certain things with, you know, monetize that data. Well, I'm going to do a little digging and I'm going to see if we can get them to talk to us on the show and kind of have this argument out in the open, because I think a lot of the claims that Shine makes are valid. You know, there is a problem with the ad industry. There is a problem, particularly with mobile, with ads taking up huge amounts of data. There is a problem with obnoxious, intrusive ads taking and up the whole some screen. Some security problems and such. Oh, yeah. Uh, taking up the whole screen. Real problem. 
huge problem. The question is whether it's their job to answer that problem, you know, and, and are they going to be happy as a business that is being funded by investors to basically come in as the white knight and solve the problem and say, great, we fix the ad industry and then leave. Because if they will, then that's fair because publishers will benefit long term, consumers benefit long term, the industry of journalism will benefit long term. I suspect that that's not the problem. It's kind of like a personal trainer. He, you know, once you get fit, he doesn't want to let your money go. He wants to start building up your muscles and other things as well. They're not good at just going away. <laughs> no. Although they may have to, because if we do remain in the EU uh, after this uh, terrifying week is over with, then uh, the EU said that by 2017, deep packet inspection is almost completely going to be banned anyway. So it may be all null and void podcast at natelangson.com that is where you can send your thoughts and obviously if you have been contacted by three to be involved in this trial let us know podcast at natelangson.com ian it's great to be a gamer these days because you've got twitch you've got youtube gaming you've got all sorts of ways of interacting with gamers across multiple platforms you probably haven't even got a television set so what better time could there be than for the uk to launch a 24-hour gaming esports tv channel on regular broadcast television in what could be a better time um i think that's actually quite a good idea and actually i am we'll get to the what the reason why it is a good idea because i kind of agree but just answer the question what could be better um holiday in the algarve free um gold yes i admit free gold (laughs) plenty of things are better than an esports tv channel but um if you like esports i would say this is probably a really good thing well what is going to happen is there's going to be a 24-hour channel it's going to be dedicated to competitive gaming that is esports that's things like your dota 2s your counter-strike global offensive and so forth and uh, it's going to be broadcast by Jinx Esports TV. It's going to be on Sky. It's co-funded by ITV as well. So there's quite a big mainstream interest in this. And it's going to broadcast from a new studio in King's Cross, which is fantastic. And there are over 100 esports events, uh, like live major esports events that take place or took place last year, at least. Um, they generate millions of pounds in ticket sales. There are tens of millions of dollars of pounds of, of prize money up for grabs. Last year, the League of Legends World Championship, over 35 million people watched it on Twitch and, and other streaming platforms. And there are some estimations that this year, half a billion dollars of revenue will be generated from advertising and sponsorship and merchandising um, just around these these, these events. And, and that could be over a billion dollars by 2019. That's just one report I've seen, but you see similar numbers around the world. This is only getting bigger. There are other tv stations i think there's one in sweden that that broadcast this sort of stuff there are certainly others i think espn did something early this year in this vein so a lot of people are dipping their toe in the water but ian you obviously have a an existing opinion here about why this is a good idea of all the things that a gamer doesn't want it's to sit in front of a regular tv watching non-pausable non-playbackable television so yeah, what's I mean, the there, point? Well, there's some truth in that. Um, I I don't know. I mean, because there is also the, I suppose, 
with with a, in a world where you've got Twitch and YouTube gaming, it is largely unnecessary. Uh, but I guess they're just trying to get this to a wider audience and to have people tune in on a on a broadcast channel, perhaps with slightly bre- better presentation. Like there's pro leagues, aren't there? And it's it's done to a very high standard because obviously there's a lot of money involved. It's it's good background TV, isn't it? Really, I mean, I, I had a, a a very rare Saturday where I wasn't. Um, I didn't have the kids weren't around. My wife wasn't around, so I just put Twitch on and watched some. I can't even remember what the game was now, um, but it was good. It was it was it was fun. I you know I watched a bit. I thought the skill here is pretty interesting. The idea would be that you'd feel like these are games that you play, and to see them played at a different level. I suppose I suppose it's it's the same as someone who is good at go karting watching F one and going, oh, that is a different league. Uh, as it were i think you've hit one of the nails on the head there which is about it's about reaching a wider audience there are a lot of people who don't know what the term esports even means and these are people who may discover it for the first time and that could be that could be great you know regardless of the sport if you have somebody with very good well-produced commentary like you say that could make something like this interesting break it down explain the terminology then that could open up the audience quite considerably but it strikes me that the whole real benefit to this is if you can get the demographic that does watch this kind of stuff young males basically they're an incredibly hard to reach market for television advertisers yeah because they don't watch television so if you could produce something that genuinely compelled them to watch tv again then you're talking about a huge capture of that potential demographic so the whole thing is about advertising underneath whatever wording is used to say isn't this great we can open esports up to everybody else it's probably an advertising play right oh yeah i mean well what isn't i mean it's all it's every tv channel has to be supported by adverts doesn't it really i mean i mean it'll get some of sky's revenue i guess but you know i just mean more so than say it would just be good for more people to know esports yeah, I think. Well, I think there yeah. is some there is something to that um, because obviously esports is something where people sort of s- a bit snobby about it, aren't they? And they say things like, "Oh, uh, you know, it, why would anyone want to watch someone playing a game?" And I'm like, "Well, why would anyone want to watch men kicking a ball around a, a bit of grass?" It, you know, sport doesn't make a lot of sense to me in a lot of ways. Are you telling me you're not a fan of sports ball, Ian? I like certain... Do you not care about that local or international team? No, I mean, it's particularly not at the moment when I can't escape it. Um, I don't care about it, no. I have absolutely no investment in the England team. In fact, at the moment, I am so annoyed by the whole of England that I am actually, you know, I'm actively avoiding the whole thing because actually I, I don't understand why anyone wants to be part of that you know, little cult of England. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think I think esports is interesting for me. It's more interesting professionally. I mean, I'm I I don't watch it necessarily for recreation, but I could see having it on. Uh, I, there are certain games I would like to watch. I'd be more inclined to watch CS:GO than I would be lol um but you know uh, I I I think it's good that there's obviously going to be something for people. Like you say, you're right. Kids, they use YouTube, don't they? They use YouTube yeah. and they use Twitch, and and so it, it isn't it isn't going to be. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for them. But if they can produce some distinctive TV with some, you know, more in depth looks at the people involved, who knows? That's that's exactly where it probably needs to go, and it'll be an interesting experiment if nothing else, because this is not a 
a type of entertainment that is getting any any smaller. It is only getting bigger. And TV, live TV in particular, is not going away anytime soon either. So if there is a way to combine those two things, then it seems nice that we're able to be a part of that experiment. You, We, as in Britain, Ian, not you and I, because obviously you and I have no preference whether it is watching 20 sweaty men in shorts on a piece of grass or 20 sweaty teenagers in their tracksuit bottoms <laughs> um, will be in the pub talking about real things like whether ad blocking is <laughs> or is not yeah anyway anyway there we go podcast at natelangston.com if you would like to dispute any of Ian and I's uh, opinion on sports ball or the local team to which you may or may not be affiliated Well, coming up shortly, we're going to talk about why Ian, the man who I have spent many years sitting next to, listening to why he's angry at things Apple has done, is so excited about something Apple has done. Uh, And also, the thing I'm most excited about that has come out of the E3 gaming show. But first, let's quickly check in with Tom Merritt, who's waiting across the pond to tell us some highlights from the last week of discussions over at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Tom Thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked about what we actually want from bots beyond just Uber rides and setting calendar appointments. We busted some common misconceptions about hackers, including the fact that they're mostly not bad people and they're trying to make the world a better place. And Jenny Josephson asked some developers what a developer actually does and how we users can be less annoying to them. All that and more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you. Thanks, Tom. And this is a good moment to remind you, dearest listener, who we love deeply, very deeply, truly, uh, but only within the confines of the law and the Queen's definition (laughs) of what is decent. (laughs) Where Uh, are you going? (laughs) No idea, mate. But basically, we need your help. Uh, We need you to tell your friends, your colleagues and uh, your enemies about text message and consider leaving us a review in iTunes if you haven't already. We never actually ask for money. We have no intention of doing so, nor do I plan on taking advertising for the show. What matters is that people listen to it every week, that they talk about it, and that's something that you guys can help with out there in listener land or whatever a similar (laughs) thing is. I've had the flu for eight days, so I'm kind of off my game right now. Uh, Maybe set yourself a reminder on your phone. You could even do it right now. That's the joy of mobile technology. Set a reminder now to post on Twitter or Facebook, whatever is your poison, and tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and get someone to try the show. And it'll really help if you tell them how to get the show or any other show, dailytechnewsshow.com, many other tech shows out there. If you want to tell them that, they'll all benefit by you just saying, here's the kind of app to use, here's how it works, and here's a good show or two to get started. Or if nothing else, a review in iTunes helps keep us up in the charts over there thank you in advance right Ian one of the things we have on this show as a rule is that we're very UK and slightly Europe focused for now at least and um, and so we tend to ignore a lot of the the sort of major global tech events because you know people listening to this show if they want to hear this they kind of already know that sort of stuff so we don't need to go over like most of the other shows do and recount everything but we did think it was worth picking a a highlight or two didn't we yeah we did and um and like you say you know i haven't always been the most positive about apple uh but recently i have i have to say i have come round um i you know do use an iPhone quite a bit. I use Android a lot as well. People think I'm like totally into the whole, uh, you know, Apple thing, but I'm not. But actually, one of the things I did 
very much like the Apple Watch when it came out, but I could definitely see some room for improvement. And fortunately, I think Apple agreed. So the watch, I mean, of all the products that I was sort of counting on you having a long-standing hatred for uh, was something like the Apple Watch, where there's no clearly defined killer app. That seems to be one of the things that always gets your craw is things that don't seem to solve a problem so yes and that's true um and i suppose you could argue that the apple watch doesn't really solve any problems but what i what what i would say about smartwatches in general was that for some reason and i can't explain this any more than you would be able to is that i actually sort of kind of really like the idea um so i started obviously with android wear um but just consistent disappointment with that operating system it is horrible um and i mean you know there are some nice watches that run android wear uh, but they are all hampered by the fact that the notification system on it is awful like there will be so many times where i would look at my watch and half of the clock is obscured by notification and apple got around that um by just not doing notifications in that way and actually the notification system on the apple watch is is kind of annoying in its own different way um but I liked. I think the hardware is nice, and that's always going to be where Apple gets it right, isn't it? I think that they. I think the design of the watch is nice. I prefer round watches, but the Apple Watch is the one that I feel looks nice on my wrist. It feels the most like an actual watch. But this update, this this speed of loading well, this apps, is ex- this is yeah. this is this makes a big difference, does it? Because it, it, it. Well, I think it does because I think that's the only thing where you could really take the Apple Watch down would be on when you go to load an app. Um, and in fact, it's so bad that I haven't bothered doing it, really. I tend to rely on the watch for the things that it does well. They're, the, the way they separate it out, I mean, you've got a watch, but you don't really use it, do you? Well, I do, um, I do, but I just tend to use it for notifications and as a watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, it, it's very good for that. But um, I guess the, the thing is that the, the complications or whatever they're called were done really well. So those are what you access quickly by swiping up and you go along and you're able to see select apps. And I believe that they are probably always stored in memory. So they open relatively quickly. Um, I have one for like City Mapper that tells me when there's any delays on the train, which is cool. Um, the heart rate monitor lives in there, you know, that kind of stuff. And you can choose what goes in there as long as they support it. Um, and I think what they're what they're doing now is they're sort of taking that system and sort of extending it slightly so that it will also be able to put just whole apps in there and that will be running in memory all the time and they'll be quicker and they will always be getting data. Now, that might be bad for battery life and stuff like that. We'll see. Um, but I think from addressing the major problem with the watch, which is that apps are a little bit unusable, I think it handles that. I am never going to tell anyone that there is a point to wearables like this watches. You either like them or you don't. The Apple Watch, as I said, is most like an actual watch. So if you're going to wear one, that's the one to get, I would say, if as long as you've got an iPhone. Obviously, it's completely useless if you don't have an iPhone. Well, I, I, obviously, this is a, an incredible red letter day where we talk about an Apple event on the podcast and I didn't really see anything that really got me super excited. And it's over to Ian Morris to talk excitedly about the new Apple product. How times have changed, mate. How- well, you know, nothing stays the same, does it, Chief? That's the way of the world. Well, simultaneous to WWDC taking place was E3. And the thing I picked out of E3 was the incredibly weird decision by Microsoft to launch 
or rather to announce the launch of a new console, a new Xbox One S console this year, but also confirm it was going to release another new Xbox in a year's time. Now, here is uh, Phil Spencer, the boss of Xbox, after a short promo video at E3, saying what he had to say about the new console. We are pleased to welcome the new Xbox One S console, the smallest Xbox One yet, to the Xbox One family of devices starting this August. On behalf of Team Xbox, I'd like to welcome you to what And that's it. That then it was on with the show. Also, I have to say, smallest Xbox smallest Xbox One yet seems a bit of an ambitious claim given that there was only one there's, there's only been one so yeah. far already <laughs> but maybe he's factoring in the third xbox one the scorpio model which is coming next year now this xbox one s is an interesting one it's a lot smaller it's nearly half the, the overall volume of the xbox one i think it's about 40 percent or so uh slimmer than the existing one it's going to cost 350 pounds in august august 31st when it comes out here in britain and two terabyte hard drive the real killer thing that I saw in this is that it will support 4K. Not 4K gaming. It will upscale games, but it's not rendering them at 4K. And uh, But it will play back 4K video. It has what I, it says it has Blu-ray in it. I assume it means 4K Ultra well, that would HD, be a that would which, be a massive mistake if it didn't have. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the wording. I I wasn't convinced by, but I'm pretty sure that's that's what we're going for here. It's really an entertainment console, a 4K entertainment console. Well, the, the Xbox One was always heavily slanted towards entertainment, wasn't it? That was why gamers took against it. Yes, indeed. But now they've got another reason to go against it if they want, because they can buy the original one. They can buy the Xbox One S when it comes out, and I assume it will retire. The, the current model that's on sale now. And then in a year, we're going to get the Xbox One Scorpio that's going to be proper 4K. It'll render games in 4K and it will be the most powerful console Microsoft's ever made, apparently. Well, of course it will be. That's like saying, that's what, you know, every time you go in for a briefing somewhere, they say, this is our best thing ever. And you're like, well, of course it is. It's going to be better than last time, right? Otherwise, what have you been doing? True, unless you have some, some great heavy metal bands which they say, describe your new album and say, yeah, well, you know, it's more of the same, really. <laughs> no one gets away with that in gaming or technology. Well, they should. Well, I mean, they could do. It would be, I'd laugh. Um, I'm a, I, this whole Xbox thing is a mess. Like, why would you want to buy one now, then, when there's a new one coming out next year? And, you know, what? why, are, why is this console generation so ruined itself? Like, what were they thinking? Strange, isn't it? It's, it's really it's, it's the first time we've ever seen a mid-cycle hardware refresh. Not like I a mean, slimming down. We've seen slimming downs throughout the PlayStation era. You know, the NES yep. changed design it, between the US, the Japanese version and the Western version. You know, and that was the first one ever, really, in this category. So, but but this is the first time they've changed the silicon on the yeah, inside. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a new console essentially. I yeah. mean, well, it's probably the, the the S isn't quite as new, I'm sure, but there are rumors that it will have more beefy hardware in it, which is Yeah. It's just stupid because what what are the original owners supposed to think about that? They're going to go, "Well, we did actually buy a pup, didn't we?" Like all of that nonsense has been confirmed essentially well well actually it was that. it was a bad console but this is the problem isn't it you, you you sort of assume that if you've now i mean these consoles have been out now for what three years or so yeah and 
the fact is just because they're releasing a new one doesn't mean that the three years of use you've had out of yours and value you've had is somehow worthless now it's like no, well, of course I, no. we're going to release a new one and the fact is and i kind of agree with this even though i do agree it's also a little bit uh confusing for the consumer i read in an interview i think possibly with phil spencer saying look you have this set up with pcs you have the minimum requirement specs you have the recommended specs and then you have the beefed out stuff you can't that's the whole point of console gaming that that is a fundamental mistake to say something like that because it because that's that is exactly the reason that people buy consoles it's so that they don't have to mess around lifting the lid and putting new gpus in every year at a cost of 350 quid or whatever you know uh, for me this is I mean, I I don't I don't care. Look, I didn't buy an Xbox One for exactly this reason. I, if it had, if it had been, I mean, I I like the Xbox 360 a great deal. Mine's broken now, so I can't play it anymore. And I like the PS3 and I like the PS4. Um, I would have stayed. I would have bought a Microsoft console if I'd had more faith in it. But ultimately, it was just. It was too expensive and it's not quite right. And this is just exactly proves it. And I might consider one when the Scorpio comes out, but not for a year because I'm not going to pay 500 quid for it or whatever they want. And they've killed Connect. They've clearly killed Connect. Yeah, you know, you need an adapter now. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Connect. Like, stick by your guns, for goodness sakes. I mean, uh, to be or, fair... Or, when, or hats yeah. off, admit when you were wrong. Yes, true. But to, to remove a port isn't... It's not really that useful, is it? I mean, it, 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 I mean you yes. can use an adapter. It's when fine. space is a premium and most well, of your client base doesn't use the thing that it supports, getting rid of it is a good idea. It's just so sad. Connect was such a good idea. And I think what Microsoft wanted to do, and they did a load of this just before, again, this is another historical thing, but they did a load of this just before they launched Xbox One. They had all those really lovely ideas, didn't they, about family sharing and all this kind of stuff and everyone went mental because they um, said they were going to need the console to be online every 24 hours and that for some reason in a world where everyone is constantly online with every device they own that was a bridge too far for the gamers and they were like no 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 we can't have that and then they pulled it back and and in so doing they hobbled the console they took away one of the things that I think would have made it a really you know a, a unique proposition and they 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 turned out a console that just wasn't quite as good as Sony's. And that's what's caused them problems. And that's why it hasn't sold. And this one won't either um, until maybe Scorpio. And then even then, I don't I don't think so, because Sony's just going to do the same thing. Yeah. And if it's especially if it's backwards compatible, you have to take that into account. So the Sony's advanced in, advancement in sales will count when the new Sony comes out. And Microsoft still won't have sold enough Xbox Ones to make it worth. I think it's a big mistake. If I haven't made that quite clear already. You've made it quite clear. I (laughs) I could pick holes in the argument because I think the Xbox has done extremely well. I think a lot of people do own both consoles now at this point. In an ideal world, you would own both. I would. The um, the software exclusivity has never been so profound that that it's, it's made owning one much more essential than owning the other. And the prices have come down. But, you know, the differentiation now is, is it seems to be on the entertainment side, which is exactly where we were at the beginning of time. So I don't know what difference this makes other than it might be cheaper to make. Therefore, it is a better proposition from a business perspective. And, you know, compared to what's coming out in a year, it might make um, a, a more clear offering. You have the Xbox One, the little slim one that doesn't cost very much, or you buy the big tricked out beefy one that costs a lot of money. And offers a bunch of stuff that most people don't well, want. Well, 
better graphics, I guess, would make a load of sense. 4K. I mean, I, yeah, I can see it. I can see the argument. And also, here's here, let me let me run this by you and see if you if you agree. In theory, because the Xbox One runs on Windows 10, it wouldn't be impossible for both Vive and Oculus to run on the Xbox One. Now, run that up your flagpole and have a think about whether you like saluting it or not. Depending on the hard, it's all about hardware. It's all about yeah. processing power, and it's about connecting. It is. I mean, but if they can't do it by the time Scorpio comes out, Scorpio will be able to. Will be able, or Scorpio, be able to whatever the it. hell it's called. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it I don't think you could do it now. But I think when the new one comes out, I think if you could plug in the existing VR gear to that, I think that could be a little bit of an advantage that they much need. But that is the point of these new consoles. It's 4K and it's VR. Oh, yeah, I know it's VR, but but it's whether or not Microsoft comes up with their own thing or whether they are able to say, oh, you can use anything, which Sony won't do. No, it'll be Oculus. Yeah. It'll be Oculus because Vive's in bed with Steam, which is the PC gaming. Sony obviously is in bed with its own thing. Although Microsoft putting its games on Steam. So maybe a deal has been done. Well, you never know. But the different divisions have different priorities. Well, they do, yeah. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your priorities are. Podcast at NateLangson.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the impending second battle of the consoles, the (laughs) 3.5 edition, whatever we're calling it. Uh, just get a PC, mate. That's all I do now, PC game. I love it. It's brilliant. Uh, Podcast at NateLangson.com. Let us know what you think. That is the end of the show today. It will be one week until we see you next time. We may or may not have left the European Union. Oh, God, don't even say it. Vote carefully. Please leave a review in iTunes, tell a friend, and if nothing else, tune in again in a week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.